Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details. You are Locked On Cavaliers, your daily podcast on the Cleveland Cavaliers. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey everyone, welcome back to Locked On Cavaliers. This is Chris Manning, who as always is your host from Fear the Sword, the Step Back, and other places when uh, I'm lucky enough to get the work. But we took a little break to end 2016. Hope you guys all had a great new year. Just had a very busy week. Needed a little bit of a break, but we're back. Back to daily. We'll be back Monday through Friday between now and the All-Star break, most likely, depending on a couple things. But that's the plan. We're going to be back daily on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Audioboom, wherever you get your podcasts. We're going to be back breaking down Cavs games, breaking down the latest news, breaking down trade rumors, breaking down the trade deadline when that comes, and answering your mailbag questions, which is what we're going to do today. Before we get into that, as a reminder, you can always submit your questions to LockedOnCavs at gmail.com or to LockedOnCavs on Twitter. You can also like us on Facebook at LockedOnCavs. Find us on Twitter, again, at LockedOnCavs. And also, just want to let you guys know that there is a Cavs newsletter, that there is a Cavs newsletter out there that I'm doing over at Fear the Sword. Uh, you can find it at bit.ly backslash Cavs newsletter, delivered to your mailbox every day. The latest Cavs news, the game preview for the next 24 hours, what's going on with the Cavs' biggest competitors, and just some things that were good to read over the past the past day or so before the last newsletter. So go check that out. Bit.ly backslash Cavs newsletter. And just want to let you guys know that today's podcast is also brought to you by SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the best way for you to buy and sell tickets right on your phone. It's the best way to compare every ticket that is out there from whatever ticket seller that is selling tickets for the concert or game you want to go to. It's going to be on SeatGeek. And when you use SeatGeek, you're going to know exactly what the ticket is going to cost. You're going to see the cost of the ticket, whatever seller fees there are. There are no hidden fees like there are on other apps. It's also going to let you know if it's a good deal or a bad deal based on if it's a green or a red dot right on the map. You're going to be able to see the view from your seat right in the app, so you're going to have no, you will have no problem knowing exactly what kind of view you're going to have from your seat at the game, and that's a great perk. For myself, I just use SeatGeek to get Run the Jewels tickets. They're in Cleveland on January 14th at the House of Blues, and I'm going to go see Run the Jewels. I forgot to buy tickets ahead of time when they came off for presale, so I went on SeatGeek, got my Run the Jewels tickets, and I'm going to see Killer Mike and LP to start off 2017 right. And my listeners today can save $20 off SeatGeek on their first SeatGeek purchase by using the promo code LOCAVS, that's L-O-C-A-V-S, save $20 on their first purchase. Just enter that under the settings to enter that in under the settings tab. Enter that in under the settings tab, and you're going to get a $20 mail-in rebate with that promo code, which again is L-O-CAVS. And thanks again to SeatGeek for sponsoring the show. And again, that's the best way for you to buy and sell tickets right on your phone. You're going to know exactly what you're going to get with no hidden fees, no issues, and I promise you, you will not regret using SeatGeek. It is the best way for you to get tickets for whatever game or concert you want to go to. 
So now we're going to go into our first mailbag question of the week. And again, you submit those to LockedOnCavs at gmail.com or to at LockedOnCavs on Twitter. And the first one comes from James Watson. He says, last, any chance Liggins can play playoff minutes as much as he hesitates on the offensive end with even open shots? So it's a good question. I think it's a fair question. I think the best way to answer it is that right now the Cavs would have to use DeAndre Liggins in the playoff series. I think if you look at how the other wings have played, Amon Schumberg's obviously been very good this year. Jordan McGray has kind of been a disappointment. He's not really in the rotation, although he played really well against the Hornets on New Year's Eve. Mike Dunleavy has not been the player the Cavs hoped he would be when they acquired him. I think right now you'd have to make on Liggins playing playoff minutes, especially because J.R. Smith is going to probably take some time to get fully back. If he comes back as late as possible, it's about, again, about a month before the regular season wraps up and the playoffs begin. He's probably not going to be 100% right when that month. He's going to have to get in shape. He's going to have to get used to shooting again. DeAndre Liggins is going to have to play. I, I think that's sort of just inevitable at this point. How much, I guess, is the question? Is it going to be 20 minutes a game? Is it going to be starter minutes? Is it going to be 12 minutes a game? We don't really know that yet, but I think you're going to have to see him play uh, based on the current roster. I just think he has to. I mean, we have seen teams, too, use guys that can't shoot that well. It becomes more of an issue in the playoffs, but look at the Thunder the last couple of years. Andre Roberson is a great defender. He's better than Liggins, and he can't shoot, and he played a lot of minutes for Oklahoma City. Even in the Warriors, Andre Iguodala is not by any means a good shooter. He's a liability for them, and the Cavs ignored him a lot in the finals, and he played a lot of minutes. Of course, those guys are arguably and probably definitely more skilled than Liggins in ways that matter more than defense. Uh, Iggy's a good creator and a good distributor and a good passer. Roberson's a good rebounder for the guard position, in addition to being a very, very, very good defender. So... There's a blueprint there. Liggins just has to kind of do other things well to maximize it. And the Cavs kind of have to be able to deal with it. And right now, again, I think it's inevitable that he is going to have to play some minutes. Next question uh, comes from an email. And this is from at P-W-O-G-T-L-I-A on Twitter. P-Wolita. If I mispronounce it, I apologize. It says, hi, Lockton team. First time asking a question, I just want to say I'm a big fan that Chris does a great job, so thank you. Uh, but what do you think is the cause of Kyrie's recent assist numbers? Is it actually a maturing? Is it him looking to dish instead of finishing tough shots he should take to the rim? Or is it just the offense starting to flow better? If he gets to average around 8 or 9 assists a game and continues his efficient scoring, where would you rank him amongst guards across the league? Thanks, hope to hear this answer. So... A couple ways to attack this. First, let's start with the assist numbers. Brian Windhorst at ESPN just wrote a great piece about this, about Kyrie maturing a little bit and Kyrie looking to dish more. That you can go read. He had a good quote in there. LeBron had a really good quote in there as well. For me, the way I answer that is I think we're seeing Kyrie adjust first and foremost to J.R. Smith being out. He is driving, I think, more because there are less avail- there are less ways for him to shoot in the mid-range there's less space in it a little bit for him and I think we're seeing him decide okay I'm going to get to the rim and I'm going to drive it and kick that out because I can find guys that way and it's there's more room for me to do that he's going to find Kevin Love he's going to find Amon Shumpert he's going to find LeBron who's you know been a great three-point shooter for about two weeks now for whatever reason I think that is part of it I also think we're seeing him take the an evolution in his game I don't know exactly what the cause of it is but 
this is this is really the next step on offense for Kyrie. Where if Kyrie is gonna drive as much as he does and attack as much as he does, the most of the the best way for him to do that is going to be driving and kicking. I'm not a big fan of mid-range shots. They have some value, especially because Kyrie can get that shot whenever he wants it. It's the type of shot he hit against Clay Thompson on Christmas Day. But it's not a shot that particularly fits in with what modern NBA offenses really are. You want three-point shooting. You want shots near the rim. Mid-range shots are fine if you can hit them at a decent rate, but they're not a very efficient shot. They're not a shot that is going to provide you the best yield. And for Kyrie, he can find all these shooters on the floor when he drives like that. I think, I really think that's, we're seeing an evolution in him. I don't know if it's going to be something that always is there. I think sometimes you're going to see him still have those three, four assists at nights because he's just too good of a score to, and that's what he does best. And I think you're just going to see that. But I think this is an evolution in his game. I think with J.R. He's a he's kind of adjusting to that, knowing that there isn't as much space for him to just drive, drive, drive. So you're going to have him find more guys and take advantage of defenses collapsing on him and paying more attention to him when he gets near the rim. That's just a theory. It, there may be something else. It may be a thing from Ty Lue, but I, to me, that seems like one of the reasons why, and there's probably a couple of things. In terms of where he would rank amongst guards in the league, I think he'd probably fall fifth for me based on the past couple of years. I think right now the top three is clearly Curry, Westbrook, Chris Paul, whatever order you want to put them in, I can you can, I can, you can argue it. Curry's probably the best of that group based on the past couple of years, but Paul's great. Russ is obviously putting up these absurd numbers. If you want to make James Harden a point guard, I'm okay with that too and make that a big four because he basically functions as a point guard for the Rockets. I think over the past years, Kyle Lowry has been better than Kyrie, but there are caveats to that, of course. Kyrie last year had a rehab year. Kyrie is asked to do different things, and I, but I think Lowry is just having the best years of his career the last years of Toronto. But I think if Kyrie is going to assist more, if we see him play with more effort on defense as well, because it's not just the assists, it's him playing hard on defense, him doing smart things off the ball on defense, like Lowry does, that's going to get him there. I And I'm a big fan of Kyrie's. I think he's great. I think there are certainly issues with him, but I think if you go to any of those guys and outside of that top three, top four, if you include Harden, they have issues with their game. I mean, John Wall is having a great year, not a good shooter. Damian Lillard is worse than even than Kyrie, in my opinion. He's just, and if even if you think he's not worse, I have a hard time saying that either one of them is actually better than the other. I mean, they're just both kind of putrid defenders. If you look at the stats and you look at just the film, for Kyrie to to really get best Lowry for me, I think just based on the past two years, I think it is defense. I think it is the assist because Lowry is carrying these bench units, and we've seen the past couple. Years of the Cavs struggle when it's Kyrie and other guys on the floor and LeBron's on the floor. That I mean, that's kind of an issue. But if Kyrie's assisting more and he is being this efficient and he is doing all these things, I think it is a very clear sign of maturation for him. And again, Kyrie Irving's 24 years old. He's still very young. And and I think that's a more than reasonable thing for him to do is, is get those assist numbers up. And again, I think it really is centered on him finding guys that have driven, guys that are open after defenses are going to collapse all the way on him. And you have Kevin Love, you have Channing Fry out there. Those those are guys you want to find for three-point shooting. And I think that's sort of the 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 basis of what he we're seeing with his assist numbers. And I want to see if he can keep this up. I think he maybe had that best month of his career the past month. We're seeing him even in certain situations play really hard on defense. We're seeing him play some smart off-the-ball defense. Against the Celtics, for instance, he was really useful inside helping off guys. 
He was good on Avery Bradley. Sands late when I th- when he's dealing with some cramps and he played a lot of minutes. And we saw in the finals he can play with effort on defense, uh, at least for spurts. So I think I think this is really Kyrie getting up there, and I think he could for sure 100% get to that top three point guards if everything kind of goes correctly. That's where I stand on Curry. And I know there's been a lot of Kyrie talk in the past couple weeks. We've seen that ESPN article. There's the SI redraft where he went fourth. Uh, redrafts to me are kind of pointless. I understand you're going to put guys in ranking classes, but redraft doesn't seem like the best way to do it because it just takes away all the context of the moment of the draft. No one thought Kawhi Leonard in that draft was going to be as good as he is. I don't think anyone really thought Clay Thompson was going to be as good as he is coming out of that draft or Jimmy Butler. Um, for for that draft, it's it's more complicated than just redrafting them and seeing where it goes. So I, I think Kyrie is great. I think he has improved, and I think you can look at it whatever way you want, but I really do believe that he this is a guy that has improved, and I think the assist numbers is just more proof of that. I think when you evaluate him, you really do have to remember last year for him was a kind of a crazy rehab year, and that kind of falls in under its own set of issues for a guy trying to evaluate a guy because he has a year that is just so bad. So our next question also comes from James Watson, and I think it's a pretty timely one. Uh, he asks, do you think it's a foregone conclusion that Greg gets cut before January 10th after watching the last two weeks of Cavs games? So January 10th is the day that his contract would become fully guaranteed for the year. If you did know, he has a partially guaranteed deal. So does John Drew Liggins. And I think if you just look at how the Cavs have played the past two weeks, it doesn't matter how they have played. It matters that the Cavs don't have a lot of healthy bodies, and I expect both to be on the roster come January 10th. When they played the Hornets on New Year's Eve, when Kyrie, Mike Dunleavy were out, in addition to Birdman, in addition to Mo Williams not being around, in addition to J.R. Smith, the Cavs had 10 healthy bodies. 10. That You have to play McRae in that situation. You have to play Liggins. They need them just for death purposes. You cannot function as a NBA team and get LeBron rest, get Kevin Love rest, get Kyrie rest when you have 10, 11 guys, 12 guys, and with Dunleavy not playing well, you know, that's an issue. You have to have those guys. You have to just play them in times to get guys rest because you need McRae to eat up those minutes. If the guys have a blowout game, you would rather just play McRae and just let him do what he does than have Kyrie have to play, you know, 45 minutes or something like that on a random Thursday. You don't want that. He's going to be on the roster, and I'd be relatively shocked if he wasn't there. I don't think he's exactly had a great year, but and he's been sort of a disappointment if you thought, like me, that he might be a rotation guy because the Cavs kind of talked him up as one, but it is what it is, and I think he's going to be on the roster. And now if he's on, I, And I think if he's on the roster, then he'll be on there for the whole year just because it's, it's, you're already paying him, so you know what's the point unless you can flip him in a deal. And also, it cannot be understated that the Cavs do really like this guy. He's tight with Kyrie. He's tight with Shump. He's dance buddies with LeBron. It is what it is. Uh, next question comes from Ashwin Kumar. He says, hi, Chris. Happy holidays. What do you think about Josh Smith for backup center primarily or maybe as a swingman option? Um, he says, are there any t- added temperament issues with him? Not in the NBA this season. He may not be a true center, but he's shown some decent skills as a shot blocker and defender. Decent offensive player. Can hit the three. Uh, with very little good options, can he be a steal considering the upside? So, Josh Smith is okay. I don't think he necessarily fits the definition of a traditional actually good rim protector and you could definitely make the argument that the Cavs need a rim protector 
Tristan Thompson is a good center. He's a very good rebounder. He does a lot of things well. He's not a not statistically a good rim protector. If you look at uh, Channing Frye, he's, I mean, we've seen this this year. He gets kind of beat up on defense a little bit. He certainly struggles in that, of course, you don't, you want a center that can protect the rim a little bit. You want a guy who can do that. The issue I have with uh, Josh Smith is that I, he, he plays for these teams and he's okay. He does some things that are okay, and he's you know mobile and all this stuff. But I, I'm not sure he's actually all that great. If you look, he played 32 games you know with the in last year that were tracked by Nylon Calculus, which of course is this great site in the Fanside Network that does a really good advanced stat work. If you look at his numbers for 2015-16 uh, with the with the the Clippers, 32 games and what they tracked and for 459 minutes, he's contesting. 37.1% of his shots, uh, opposing the players are shooting 43.8% of those attempted shots. That's a very good 5.77 points for 36 minutes. But he just, uh, and that's fine, like, those are great. But if you look at some of his numbers from the year before, you know, he's doing okay. He's below average uh, in some ways on that team and not really particularly a great rim protector he's serviceable he's probably theoretically better at it than Thompson and thing but I don't think he does enough else that makes me think okay you can plug Josh Smith into that role and he's going to be fine um, if you look at you know just his numbers last year I mean last year with the with the Rockets and the and the Clippers he shot a combined 36.4 percent from the field he shot under 30 percent from three he shot over on two point shots, forty one point seven percent average six points a game. If you're gonna play a guy that's gonna need to play ten to twelve minutes and protect the rim for you, I don't want a guy that's shooting that bad from the field. If you want to even look at his advanced numbers in that and just kind of take a look at some things, when he's overall last year on it with a true shooting percentage for him of forty three point nine percent. If you don't know what that is, that's field goal percentage combined with free throw percentage. That is an awful true shooting percentage, especially for a guy whose career is above 50%. And it peaked at about 54% when he was with Atlanta at age 25. Josh Smith does that one thing well. I don't think he does enough else well. He hijacks the offense with dumb threes. I don't think there's necessarily an attitude thing with him. I'm not even quite sure where what he's doing right now. But um, he's actually playing, he's playing with the Shishan... Blue Whales, and if I mispronounce the first part of that, I apologize, in the Chinese Basketball Association. He's playing in China. Um, he's definitely getting paid probably pretty well to play in China. So I get the question. I get the room protection idea. I don't really think Josh Smith is that quite of a useful player. I think Larry Sanders, if he's good to go, would make more sense. I think you probably search the trade market for a guy like Costa Kufis for other people that maybe make more sense. So... I don't know exactly who it would be, but I don't think Josh Smith is necessarily the solution there. Um, yeah, is he a good defender? Sure. I don't think he can actually hit the three. Not a good shooter at all. I mean, he's coming off just a putrid offensive season, and you can't have a guy that is that much of a liability at that spot. I mean, Tristan Thompson is going to finish stuff like dunks, and he's going to get layups, and he's going to clean up on the boards. Josh Smith doesn't do enough where I think that guy's worth playing 10 to 12 minutes a game. And yeah, you're going to see DeAndre Liggins is a liability. 
at least you know that guy, it's a wing so he can defend, and that I think you can get away with that almost a little bit more than a big who is just coming off a really, really bad shooting season and has a history of hijacking and taking threes and just doing things that aren't functional, especially in a role you'd want him to play. So I, I, if they do it, there are worse options for sure, but it, he would not at all be my, my first choice. So Perry Callis asks, what do you think of Hollis Thompson, and what would the Cavs have to give him up Give to get him up, give up, excuse me, to get him in a trade. So, Hollis Thompson uh, plays for the 76ers. He is a is a 6'8 wing. He's 25 years old. He's an okay. I think he's an okay player, but I don't really think he is a difference maker for the Cavs. If you just look at his career, a career under 40% shooting from three at 38.9. Not an overall good shooter. He's an okay defender. Um, his individual offensive ratings are bad, but he's played on some really bad Sixers team, so I'm not sure how much that you can label there. He and he's you know long and whatever, but I, I don't really think he's a guy the Cavs. If they were to trade for him, they'd probably have to give up a second round pick, I guess. But that's just a shot in the dark. I think he's fine. He he's what he is. I think if the Cavs are going to sign somebody, it's not going to be a guy where they go and take a, a flyer on a 25-year-old from that's playing with the Sixers right now. If they're going to sign somebody, it's probably going to be an older guy who's going to play minutes now where they're going to swing for something a little bit bigger, a la Channing Fry last year, and they get a guy who's actually a rotation piece maybe for more than a year. So just take a look at... That's kind of where I view the Cavs trade targets. Is Thompson a, a theoretical nice idea? Yeah. You know, he shot over 40% from three, but on low attempts last year on 5.1 attempts, he shot 38%. He is what he is. I don't think he's quite that good. I think you could probably throw two second-round picks and maybe get him, but that's not the type of guy I'd expect the Cavs to really go after. That, to me, seems not likely. I think if they're going to do something, it's going to be something more significant where it's a guy on the buyout market, it's a guy who they can package with whatever assets the they have, which is Seti Ozman, a first-round pick, Mo Williams' contract, maybe Birdman's contract, maybe Jordan McRae's contract, and then you throw that at some wing or a big. And I, I, for the record, I would prefer that they get a wing. I think that's the bigger need, especially when you're going to play the Warriors, and just in my just in my opinion. All right, so uh, last question we're going to get to this week is from James Watson. Um, he asks, do you think the Cavs have new players before the rematch with Golden State? And it makes sense to me in addition to make an addition before that game. So I think that's a theoretically good idea, but here's the thing. That's January 16th. Buyouts, I believe, start around then. Um, but if you're looking at the trade deadline for 2017, that's not until February 23rd. That is, <laughs> that is not close to that Golden State, and that is over a month after the Golden State. It's after the All Star break, so you got some pandemonium around then. And you know, in the buyouts do start could theoretically start on January 10th, and you can start signing guys to 10 day contracts on January 5th. So that's you know in just three days from now. But I don't think you have to go and get a guy by January 16th. I don't think that's a necessity. I don't think. It's and I don't even think you could probably evaluate any guy that you tr let's say the Cavs acquired somebody today on January second and say so they let's just say in this situation they play co they they acquire Costa Kufus from the Kings not saying that's a rumor not saying I have information that they're going to do that's just use him as the example 
you have to get him. He probably doesn't play until later this week. So let's say he plays his first game on Friday in Brooklyn on January 6th. So for Kufis, you would have 10 days to get him ready to play against the Warriors. You'd have to, you're on the road, first of all, so he's not even really going to get to practice because when NBA teams travel, they don't practice quite as much, and it's really hard to find practice time. So it takes to, you have to really rely on game reps to get a guy acclimated. So he'd play one, he'd play four games before the Warriors game. Suns, Jazz, Blazers, Kings, all on the road, all as part of the Cavs' upcoming West Coast swing. And they're, they're really, they're a big West Coast swing for the year. So you have that. And then you look at this a little bit deeper. It's hard to get a guy, again, that acclimated that fast. You, I mean, are you going to play him that much? Are you going to, who are you going to play him with? Are you going to find the right lineups for him that fast? I just don't think those things are likely. If you acquire anybody between now and then, and again, let's say it's Kufis, that guy is going to not really be the best version of himself with the Cavs. In theory, at that time, there's just I, I don't think you can make a guy feel comfortable filling a new role, playing with a lot better players than they're probably playing with in other cities and for other teams. I mean, it's just so hard to acclimate a guy that fast. I don't think it's necessary to get a guy. And look, the Cavs are probably playing the Warriors in June if everything breaks how we expect it to. And think crazy things happen, but I mean, that just is the most likely scenario. The regular season games don't matter quite that much. The Christmas game is it was a great game. It was a great win for the Cavs. It was one of the best regular season games I've ever seen. And there are certainly little things you can take away from it. I it's hard to just say okay this these regular season games are definitive predictions for the for the finals. Things change between now and then. Injuries happen, and if the Cavs acquire somebody, even if they acquire him in February, they would have a lot more time to acclimate him and get that guy used to playing in the rotation and finding the best uses for that player then. So, theoretically, would it be nice to have that guy on the roster so we can kind of have an idea what that rivalry means and what the, that, the stakes of that series and get used to playing an Oracle with the Cavs? Sure. I mean, there's probably some value to that, to getting used to that environment. But I think more importantly is just finding the right guy. And I don't think it matters if that comes today, if that comes on Friday, if that comes at the trade deadline, if that's a guy they sign just before the waiver deadline and, and the playoff eligibility deadline in March. I think as long as you get the guy, you should have enough time to acclimate him, and you're not going to be able to do that. if you, Even if you acquired him today and that guy plays on Friday against the Nets, 10 days is not enough time to acclimate that guy. And you just look, and I think it would skew kind of what his role might be in that series because he's, that player is probably going to play really bad in whatever minutes he has for the first little bit of time because it just takes time to adjust. I mean, if it, let's say it's against Kufis, he'd be coming from just a very, very dysfunctional team to playing with the best team in the East, the team that won the title last year with the best player in the world with Kyrie and Kevin Love and under Ty Lue and just in a much better organization. So, I mean, it's just hard to make that guy as successful as he's going to be in 10 days, in my opinion. I just don't, I don't think there's exactly a way to get that guy 100% ready in that time. So, so thanks again, everyone, for submitting questions today. It was a great mailbag podcast. Again, I'm sorry for the, the little break, but just needed a little holiday break to kind of relax. I was sick, had a wedding to go to, just a crazy week. But we're back. We're going to be back tomorrow recapping the Pelicans game. And we'll have previews this week of other games. We'll have everything that you might need about the Cavs coming up. Uh, we'll probably do a little breakdown of where they're at midway through the year. There also is going to be over on Lockdown NBA 
a Cavs breakdown that you can listen to only on David Locke's Locked On NBA podcast, which you can find obviously on iTunes, Audio Boom, Stitcher, wherever you listen to podcasts. Again, submit those mailbag questions for next week at Locked On Cavs or to Locked On Cavs on Twitter. And uh, thanks again to Seeky for sponsoring the show. So this has been Chris Manning. This has been Locked On Cavs. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Come your motherfuckers in the air.